Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Element City Church. It is a delight to have you here, either in the house or joining us from your house. If you're on your couch right now, just stand up, get the blood flowing. If you're here, we're going to stand up here in a minute, but welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here. So just if you are new or if you have not downloaded yet, uh, we have a free church app uh, Element City Church, just search that in the Google Play Store or the Apple, uh, what is it called, Apple Store? Yeah, there you go. Uh, find it, uh, and we'd love for you to download that. There's lots of different things on there that'll keep you up to date. Uh, checking the events uh, that are happening, we want to let you remind you about Christmas Eve that's coming up. It's either 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. service that you could join us here on in the house or from your house online. We'd love for you to connect with us that way. And if you are new, we'd love for you to fill out our connection card. It's an email that will send to me. I'd love to reach back out to you, just kind of connect you and let you find your fit around Element City Church. We're glad to have you with that. Thank you to all of you who were here yesterday helping with our food distribution. We gave out over three pallets of food uh, to people, and there was a COVID clinic here. It was packed and crazy. So we do that every second Saturday. We'd love to invite you to be a part of that. And then other ways that we're trying to work on connecting is uh, lunch. How many of you eat lunch? Yes, you do eat lunch. Uh, we're doing a virtual lunch this Wednesday, December 16th. I'll be at my house. You'll be wherever you are. And I'd love to have lunch with you. So join in. You can Zoom in. All that information is on the app. Just click the event for virtual lunch. And I have the Zoom link in there. And you can connect with us. We'll hang out for a little bit. Uh, watch each other eat food. It'll be weird. Uh, but it'll be fun. So uh, glad to have you again with us. As we pray for the church of the week, as some folks are kind of dropping off kids and coming in from the foyer, and as you're there at your house, would you join me in praying for New Life Bible Fellowship? Uh, Pastor Greg and Pastor John are good friends, uh, and uh, their church on the northwest side of town, they do amazing things around the city, and they've got missionaries around the world, do a lot of good uh, in our city, and we're grateful for them, grateful for their friendship, and I just want to pray a blessing over them and over us as we get started. So if you're here, why don't you stand up where you're at? Uh, we'll pray, and then we'll jump into worship. Hope you're ready to sing some Christmas tunes. So, Father, we are grateful uh, for your love for us. We lift up a New Life Bible Fellowship to you and, and pray your blessing over Pastor Greg and Pastor John and over their leadership there. God, would you continue to leverage that church to do great kingdom good in that neck of the woods and in this city. God, we pray your blessing over them, wisdom for them, provision in all ways. And God, we pray for tonight that as we gather, whether we're here in the house or here at our house, uh, God, would you move in our midst? We invite your spirit to be a part of this process and a part of, as we look into your word, as we worship you, we remember the, the reason for this season, the story of Christmas that is so pivotal uh, to life change for us individually and life change to the opportunity for the whole world. Uh, we pray that you would move in our midst that you would meet us where we are, you'd encourage our hearts, and that you would stir us afresh and anew, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Joyous 
righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders wonders of his love sing that again he rules the world
Yes, Jesus, we hail you as king now. Right now, God, we worship you and we adore you. We take refuge under your wings because we know that you're worthy of all praise. And as we sing these songs tonight, God, uh, may they not just be words to these traditional Christmas uh, hymns that we're used to singing, but God, would these words take hold in our lives and make its way into our hearts. And when we sing, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, that we are crowning you, and we're declaring you as Lord. It's an act of worship to do so. So awaken us, not just to the wonder of Christmas, but the fact that, that Christmas can lead us to worship you in a, a new and in a fresh way. So would you just interrupt us tonight, God, whatever it is that may be in our hearts and on our minds, if it's anything but you, Lord, would you interrupt us and just kind of reset uh, our expectations for tonight? Would you reset our perspective and realign it, God? to where you take your rightful place on the throne of our lives just like you deserve. So Jesus, we worship you tonight. We love you. It's in your holy and your precious name we pray. singing these Christmas songs are so rich in theology and doctrine and, and just the weightiness of the gift that we have in Christ. And so as we move, continue to, toward Christmas, uh, just again invite you to uh, next Sunday with us, Christmas Eve again, four or six o'clock, uh, either online or here. We'd love to to have you be a part of that. But here's what I'd like for you to do. Uh, so maybe you're at home, sitting on the couch, and you got a few people around you. You're gonna kind of take on this challenge there. Here, you're gonna turn to the people sitting right next to you. And the invitation simply is just, what comes to mind when you think about Christmas? Just start naming all the things that come to mind when you think about Christmas. You got 15 and a half seconds, go. What comes to mind when you think about Christmas? What pops into your brain? For some of you, it may be family time. That's maybe one of the first things that popped into your head. It's just time around family that you get to have with them. Maybe it's wish lists that you're putting together, a shopping list that you're putting together. Maybe it's the hustle of the season, which may be trimmed down a little bit. That was a tree joke. Okay, so um, there's lights, the trees, the presents, eggnog. Any eggnog fans? I've never really been a fan of eggnog. Some of you are. I'll pray for you. Okay, so for some in this season, it's the feeling of stress that comes with this season. For some, it's the feelings of joy that comes in this season. Uh, some of us kind of point to the hope and that's offered to us in Jesus that we find that we celebrate this Christmas season. Sometimes it's a season that just wells up this heart within us to want to show love and value to those that we care about. There's a lot of thoughts that come to mind when you think about Christmas. Maybe if you were to close your eyes, uh, you would imagine Christmas often as this picturesque kind of scene of family gathered and all is right with the world kind of feeling, right? 
that, that maybe you would begin to see displayed the perfect decorations and the pristinely wrapped presents. But what we have to understand is that the original Christmas story was anything but tidy and anything but pristine and anything but this perfect little scenario and this perfect scene. And so often when we become so familiar with the Christmas story, it's easy to gloss over the rawness of it, the tension that rested in it. And yet we know this about stories, that it, the great stories that we see in movies or TV or the stories of our lives are, are captured by the moments of the, of the people that, that made those stories. It, it's the characters, the, the people that were a part of that story that kind of draw out the best of it. And so we've been looking at the story of Christmas. We looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth last week and kind of the story of how Christmas began. It was 400 years of silence, right? God not really revealing anything. And yet into this moment, to this older priest who just happened to get picked on that particular weekend, on that particular day, to go into the holy place. And, and Gabriel the angel is sent to have a conversation with him and to initiate this idea of, okay, Zechariah, not only is, is your prayer answered, but the prayer of the whole nation of Israel, of the whole uh, embodiment of humanity is being answered. The Christmas story is about to break forth. And it was in the silence the silence of Christmas that began, that we gain this understanding. And, and today I want to look at the story of Mary and Joseph. And just to familiarize yourself again, maybe with the rawness and the reality of what would have been transpiring. Because it's so easy in the Christmas story just to gloss over the reality of what they face and what they were going through. And yet it's in the middle of this and then looking into their story and from their angle and from their perspective that we begin to see maybe some of these divine interruptions that are God initiating something, his activity. That, and, and what if, what if God still works that way? What if he's still active in the interruptions of life that so much of Christmas is pristinely wrapped, but the reality is that original Christmas story was anything but pristine, and so much was unfolding. So we begin to, to dive into to Mary's story. If you have your Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 1. If you have the app, you can open and go to sermon notes and follow along uh, there. But in Luke chapter 1, this is, remember, uh, ties in a little bit to Elizabeth's story that we looked at last week. So in Luke 1, verse 26, 27, it says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember, he's, she's pregnant with John the Baptist, who is to come, the forerunner, the one who would point to Jesus the Messiah to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he was going to be the forerunner pointing that. And so six months into her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, this small town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The virgin's name was Mary. See, at this precise moment in time, God sends Gabriel to the small unpopular city of Nazareth to a young girl named Mary who's probably aged 12 to age 16, somewhere in that range. And her life becomes interrupted. Think about that. Think back to when you were 12 to 16 years old, right? And all the plans that you had for your life and all the things you were dreaming about and where you wanted to go. My hunch is this was never on the radar screen for Mary. 
that she had a lot of things played out and, and kind of laid out in her life of where she was going. We know she's betrothed to Joseph, which uh, she was Joseph's fiance, so to speak, but it's different than fiance in our day and age. Uh, uh, betrothment in the Jewish tradition was this idea that you were, you were legally married already. You just didn't have the benefits, so to speak, of marriage. You were preparing for a wedding, and you were going to consummate that relationship, but you weren't there yet. You were kind of test driving this idea of seeing how loyalty would play out and how things would grow because more often than not, your family is who chose who you were going to marry. And so for some of you parents or, or ex-parents, you're like, yeah, we should still do that. And for kids, you're like, no, don't please. Uh, but like this idea of like that's how things happened back then. And, and into this moment, she has been pledged to Joseph. She's legally married at this point. But it's kind of waiting for the, the wedding and, and the ending of that and the celebration of that, and into that moment, Gabriel shows up with a message that had to be pretty shocking when she heard it. Why do I think that? Because it would have been really shocking if you heard it, wouldn't it? We tend to gloss over the reality of the story, but think about it. You're 12 to 16 years old, and an angel shows up and tells you about what's going to happen. Can you imagine the shock? Some people have asked, okay, why, why did Jesus come at this particular moment of history? And a lot of scholars have argued and debated about why then and not other times or other seasons of history. There's uh, a lot could be said of the Pax Romana, this idea of the peace of Rome, which really basically meant we beat you up and now we got peace over you, right? So it wasn't this idea that there was peace throughout the land. Uh, Rome just kind of beat the snot out of you and made you submit, and, and now there was peace because they were in charge. And, and so that was kind of the reality of it. They had built a whole bunch of what we call the Roman roads, right? And so industry and the ability to travel across the land was so much better at this moment. Uh, the uh, Greek language had been kind of the predominant language that had taken over most of the known world at this time. And so maybe it was because of some of those scenarios that just made it a prime opportunity for God to, to say this is the moment of the story beginning to launch. We don't fully know, but here's what we do know, that in the fullness of time, God's plan went into action, and it started with Gabriel visiting Zechariah out of the silence of 400 years, and here it is again of interrupting Mary's life and where she was at and the plans that she had and all that she was going about. We understand her to be a virgin, yet uh, to have had consummation of relationship, right? And, and so that's a big deal and a big key. To, it's easy to run by and, and to forget the significance of that, that Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, prophesied about this so many hundreds of years before, that the virgin would be found with child. The apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 4, when said that God sent his son at the precise time. I love that word. Precision of God. Born of a virgin. This is significant. And it's helping us understand this reality that God's initiative gets activated in the story of Christmas. But Mary's life becomes very interrupted. See, that's the raw side of the Christmas story. We learn that Mary is betrothed as a Jewish custom, gonna be about a year long of this engagement, but it's more than an engagement because it's legally bound and legally binding. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, we hear that and go, well, that's a nice greeting, that's like formal. No, no, like, 
it's significant. That to having found favor with God is to really begin to taste of the grace of God, to gain his approval and acceptance and blessing. That the New Testament word for grace has its roots in the same word that the word favor is. That Moses and Noah and Joseph and Samuel and Jesus at age 12 said to receive the favor of God. That later in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his very public ministry, we read that uh, he has become to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is favor? Well, it's the grace of God. Did Mary earn that? No. She was gifted that. Recognize that it's here for you. Blessed are you, O favored one. Why? When you read about grace in favor of God, yes, it can come from a posture of humility. Yes, it can be part of the generosity of God that your devotion is toward him, but it's never in, as a recipient of what you did. It's always as one on the receiving end of what God has chosen to do, that it's his grace that meets us. It's not our merit that earns up to getting God's grace. It's just that God's grace and favor is poured out. That's what Paul writes so much about in the New Testament. And so he says, blessed are you, O favored one. That we begin to see that this is the grace of God. Gabriel has shown up in her life and at God's command and identified himself on assignment from God himself. And when God's plan is, is revealed into our lives, we may think it's one of impossibility, which is at first what she thinks. It's what you would have thought too. But the reality is, when God's will is made clear and we step forward in obedience, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing's impossible for him. And so into this humble, small town of Nazareth, Gabriel appears to Mary, greeting, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It's a powerful introduction. And then he goes on to kind of unpack the plan, if you will. He kind of gives a, shall we say, a divine ultrasound, if you will. Here's how things are going to play out, Mary. See, we get an ultrasound now to see our kids, to get a snapshot, a, a picture of what is to come. And so in a divine ultrasound kind of moment, Gabriel says, here is what, to, what is to come, Mary. Let me help you understand what's going to happen as I'm interrupting your life. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, King David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. What? That's huge. You're 12 to 16. Your life is being interrupted in this moment. And the declaration and the introduction is profound. If Mary wasn't sitting down at this point, the next phrase, I'm sure she did. Gabriel explains how this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This clarifying statement sets Jesus Christ apart from every other human birth ever. Think about the billions and billions of births that have happened on this planet over the centuries and millennial, right? Jesus is different. That's what we're reading about. That the virgin will be with child. This is something unique. 
it's not a human conception. It's this idea the Holy Spirit described that this is a divine conception. That while Jesus will be born like every other human being is born, he will live in perfection as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he and he alone has that title. Because he and he alone has that kind of entrance. It's unique. It's different. But it's interrupting to the life of Mary and to her plans. And yet, even into that interruption, she remains faithful. And she says, may it be so with me as you have said. And then you can read Mary's song as a response to this. She believes it by faith. Then she goes and she stays with Elizabeth for a little while. And then she begins to show. Think about that. Think about the reality of what that would be. Have you ever, if you're married, have you ever had the conversation in your head before you had the conversation with your spouse? And in your mind, you're playing out the conversation, okay, this is how I need to present this, this is how I need to come at this. If you're engaged or dating, like you've, you've thought through how you need to present something in order to something to be received well, how do you present this? Mary, have you put on weight? Ah, uh, well, Elizabeth's monkey bread's been really good. Um, no, Joseph, there's something that's happened. How do you have that conversation? By the way, I don't quite know how to explain this. So here goes. How do you start? As Joseph's point of view, what do you think he's thinking? What would you be thinking? See, it's so easy in the Christmas story that we're so familiar with to, to just walk on right past this. And yet this disruption, this interruption into her life, and we'll see Joseph's side of the story here in a moment, was so profound. It's, so, it's such a bringer of tension into the story, into the plan that she had of her life, to the plan that Joseph had of his life how things were going to play out and, and how you organize and how you move forward and here's what we're going to do and here's the season of our life we're going to be in and, and then God interrupts that and it changes everything. And then, so how do you react in those moments? How do you begin to, to walk that through? They say there's two sides to every story and, and here's Mary's interruption and yet she remains faithful. Joseph's side of the story is a little bit different. Matthew chapter 1 kind of helps us understand Matthew's story. But you have to understand the gospel writer of Matthew. Matthew is writing this to the Jewish people. He's trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah you've been looking for. And so he has this really long beginning to the book of Matthew chapter 1 that, let's just be honest, is really boring. It's name after 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 name name after name after name. Did you get the point? It's this genealogy going all the way back to Adam and really kind of tying back to King David himself to show you the lineage of how Joseph fits in the line of King David, that this is, again, fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah would come from King David's line and his kingdom would never 
end. And so Matthew's trying to make a point that this is how you connect the dots. And yet we begin to see Joseph's story and the interruption of God into his story, just as he has interrupted the story of his fiancée. And so Joseph begins to find out, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Again, it's a year-long engagement, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, a righteous man, your text may say. Some of your, uh, the Bible translations may have that. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was a righteous man. There's a rich history behind this, especially in the Jewish context and the Jewish culture and understanding. See, the Hebrew word for righteous is, is Sadiq. This idea of one who is just and who is upright and who is devout and who is innocent. Now, he isn't perfectly innocent because none of us are and we're all broken. Anyone willing to admit you're broken? So we all have brokenness in us. We all have a sinful side of us. But he, he was devout. He was authentic in his faith of trying to follow after the Torah and to follow after God and obey the laws of the Jewish culture and Jewish understanding. Joseph was a good guy who was building a godly reputation. Joseph didn't eat unclean food. He didn't mix with the wrong kinds of people. He didn't keep his carpentry shop open on the Sabbath so he could make a few extra bucks. He was Sadiq. That was his identity. Everybody knew that about Joseph. Nobody invited Joseph over to have ham sandwiches with tax collectors and prostitutes. He was the, the people you'd want to be. He was like a businessman in our day wants to be a CEO or an athlete wants to be an all-star. An Israelite wanted to be Sadiq. They wanted to be seen as righteous and their reputation above reproach. And that was Joseph. That's who he was. And that was his identity. You were a somebody in the nation of Israel, when you were a Sadiq. And that's Joseph. Uh, but, but now he's a Sadiq with an issue. Uh, the woman he's married to, pledged to fulfill, is found to be with child. She's showing. How did that happen? How do we get here? What does that look like? And, and now uh, he understands that in Nazareth is a small town where the general rule is in a small town is everybody knows your business, right? And, and yet Joseph is, speaks about his character that he doesn't want to defame or, or have Mary live in shame. And, and so he's kind of settling into maybe this idea out of shock and disappointment and, and frustration. Can you imagine what he's feeling? Could you imagine what she's feeling? Their story has been interrupted by the, the God of the universe, and yet they don't fully know it, and they don't know what to do with it, because it's not part of the plan. I have a plan, and we were working our way toward the plan, and God, you've interrupted the plan, and it doesn't look right. And yet, when their life was interrupted, they remained faithful. And maybe, just maybe, that's a hint for us.
Interruptions are a part of life. And maybe God's initiating some of those interruptions to meet you in those moments. So we have a Sadiq man who's got a pregnant fiance in a small town where everybody knows your business. And Matthew kind of confirms the tension of what's going on. He doesn't really unpack the whole rest of the story, the birth of Jesus. He leaves that to Luke. Luke does that. That's why we spend most of our time in Luke chapter 1 and 2 understanding this. Joseph is a just man, and he knows according to the law that what he knows is this isn't his kid. And something happened, and so adultery is, well, it carries the death penalty in the Jewish culture and context, and he doesn't want to put Mary to shame, and so he's trying to figure out a way to to do this quietly, and he's tired. Wouldn't you be? And so he falls asleep, And, and into that moment, into the interruption that has come, God sends an angel again in the dream to bring a little more clarity to poor Joseph. Uh, Verse 20 through 25, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't skip over that. See, to a man who is Sadiq, who is righteous and just, who's built a lifetime reputation of being above reproach, think about what God is asking Joseph to do. The challenge of this moment. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah, again, chapter 7, verse 14, that the virgin will be with child, give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. And immediately took Mary to be his bride consummated and and fulfilled the relationship, did not consummate until after the birth of Jesus. So there was no um, understanding of all this and this challenge of what we're to be about. And so he gave in the name of Jesus. First, the angel clarifies to Mary, here's how you conceive. Second, the angel affirms the mission of the baby that was born. And third, he kind of understands this reality of what is happening and transpiring. The angel confirms to Joseph, this is what's to play out. We're told that the angel speak to Joseph in this dream and he woke up and was immediately resolved to do what the angel had commanded to do. And in the middle of his interruption. He chose to remain faithful. The the invitation that maybe is for us, that when lives were interrupted, they remained faithful. They were faithful to that moment. Do you want to know how Joseph bet the whole farm on this? The reality is that he would approach, and he would approach this subject and approach this idea, going on with uh, this idea that uh, Joseph had... uh, some other sons, right? Jesus had four other brothers. They were named James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And it's hard to understand in the English language, but in the the Hebrew language, this understanding that these are the great patriarchs of the Israel people, of Jacob and Joseph and Judah and Simeon. And so this 
ideation of saying, this is where we're going to be, that Joseph and Mary named their kids to say, God was at work with the patriarchs, and God is going to be at work again through our son Jesus, and he's going to redeem the whole nation of Israel, that he's going to be at work with something. Scholars say that Joseph and Mary kind of probably gave those sons their names so that to say, God is at work in this nation. God is at work in this. Decades later, if you read Mark chapter 6, Joseph's reputation never really fully recovered from this interruption of God. Never really fully recovered. And since that time, understand that millions of people have made sacrifices for the sake of the name of Jesus. Many have given up status and possessions and convenience and freedoms and even their very lives for the name of Jesus. And that's what Joseph did in that moment. See, when you're Sadiq, to remain faithful to this command meant that you were sacrificing your reputation. And what's interesting, I don't know if you'd know, but you fast forward a little bit that Joseph gave up so much of his reputation for Jesus. And I bet every time you looked in Jesus' eyes when he was growing up, I made the right decision. No matter the cost, I made the right decision. Maybe God decided that Jesus, uh, who was going to be called a friend of sinners, should be raised in a family that knew firsthand what it was like to be regarded as spiritually second class. That was the challenge. And maybe part of why Jesus had a heart for unrespectable people is that he was raised by a father who was willing to sacrifice respectability for his very son. And maybe one reason Jesus had compassion on women who were walking in scandals is that he knew what it meant for his mom that his dad chose to stay with her when she was single and pregnant. And into that moment, he stayed. He didn't take a walk, like I'm sure his friends suggested. I think that's how Jesus, he was growing up, must admire his dad's courage. Because Joseph, his life got interrupted, and yet he remained faithful. And maybe God still calls people to be faithful. What's interesting, if you read in Mark chapter 6, uh, there's a conversation one day about Jesus, and they, and they said, how can this be? This is, this is the son of Mary. And so we don't understand the significance of that. Uh, that's a dig. I don't know if you know that or not. You probably had things said about you that were a dig. That was that. This is the son of Mary. See, in the Jewish culture and context, you were also always affiliated with your father. Joseph had probably died at this point. But for people to say, well, he's the son of Mary, was like a derogatory term, kind of like an SOB would be said. Because you would always refer to the father, and yet they're referring to Mary. See, the reputation and the sacrifice of this Christmas story in the rawness of it is maybe a little bit more than we give it credit for. And maybe a little deeper and a little uglier and a little more filled with tension than we just see it as this Christmas story that's in little children's books. There's a lot more tension here because interruptions are tension-building things. Isn't that true in your life? That when interruptions come to your plans 
How many of you are type A, plan B? Or you're type A and like you're driven to fulfill that type A, right? And that in that, I bet 2020 has been really hard on you. Been really hard on a lot of people. Because here's the plan. God, I'm working a plan and you've interrupted, you've disrupted the plan. And, and so the tensions that exist in our culture and in our context are understandable. Why? Because life has been interrupted. And it's challenging. And it's not easy. And it's not the way we would choose it. It's not the way we would want. Because we have a plan and we're trying to work it. And yet God's initiative and his activity is often in the interruptions. And so maybe part of the plan for us and part of the growth for us is to begin to look for that. See, the divine interruption that we celebrate at Christmas is actually more beautiful than we realize. That it was God's initiating this plan of Christmas, the story of Christmas. Friends, we have to learn to look, to see the interruptions as God's opportunities that, that God might just be active in, in behind the scenes and maybe it's beginning to burst forth into your life for, for you to go in a different direction or to see things from a different perspective because it's about your growth in that moment. That it's often in the interruptions of our plans where God's plans can do and he plans to do some of the best growth in our life and some of the best transformational work of our heart. That God can only leverage us in that moment if we join him in his plans and if we learn to hold our plans loosely and open-handedly and say, God, I want to be part of your plan more than mine. And that, (coughs) that you need to take precedent over my plans. Your plans go first, and they're the ones I most want to pursue, but often we're tempted to see interruptions as irritations, irritating the things that we had thought we were kind of laying out, but those interruptions may just well be God's initiative and his activity beginning to get started. And so can we be open enough to see that? God is always asking you to trust him more in the next moment than the moment you just had. And that's what he was doing for Mary, and that's what he was doing for Joseph. And into those interruptions, they remained faithful. And maybe, just maybe, that's the invitation for us to see and the posture for us to take. Interruptions may be God-given opportunities if we learn to see it that way. See, God interrupted Mary's life and her physical body. God interrupted Joseph's goals and reputations and plans. God interrupted the schemes of evil in this world through the one they would deliver. God interrupted all of history in the very world in the coming of Jesus. And aren't you glad he did? Aren't you glad he did? That the story of humanity got interrupted Because that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly be crossing our paths and canceling our plans. He is always at work through his crooked yet straight path. You know what's fascinating about the Israelites when they came out of captivity in Egypt? Is the promised land was really about three months away. It was a short walk. But the reality 
is the roundabout ways of God are different than just going a straight line. Because we so often focus on the destination, but God is more focused on the transformation that he wants to do in the journey of how he's getting us from point A to point B. And it may not just be the quickest route that he'll take. It's the most transformative route that he wants to take. And it's in the midst of that transformation, in the midst of that journey to where he wants to go, and he will get us to where he says he's going to go. I will finish what I start, God says. I will get you there. But I'm not concerned about just getting you to the destination. I'm focused on the transformation of your character and who you are along the journey. And so I'm going to interrupt you from time to time. And we're going to take little detours from time to time. Why? Because I'm focused on you. I'll get you to where I said I'm going to take you. But I'm focused here. Because I want to build your character. I want to build and shape you. Think about it. The Christmas that we celebrate and that we hold so dear was the initiative of God activated through a divine interruption. A divine interruption to Mary's life and to Joseph's life and to all of history. So here's the question to wrestle with tonight. God's initiative and activity still interrupts today. Are you open to it? Are you open to him interrupting you? Can you lean into those interruptions? Instead of just being irritated and wanting to run through it, could you let it run through you? and actually see the transformational work of God in the process. Are you willing to partner with him? Are you willing to step forward like Mary and Joseph and say, I may not fully understand this interruption, I may not fully even like it, but I will be faithful to you. And so God, that's what we pray for, that we would be those kind of people that along in our faith journey that, um, that we would see the interruptions that come from you as opportunities. Opportunities to grow in our faith with you. Opportunities to stretch us in using our gifts and talents and abilities to bless the people around us. God, may we see those interruptions as divinely inspired to do a work within us. God, so often interruptions of our lives irritate us. And we don't like them because they're not part of the plan. But yet, you utilize those interruptions sometimes as the best part of your plan for us. And we remember in the Christmas story that the interruption to Mary and the interruption to Joseph, it cost them. There was sacrifice involved. There was tension and heartache involved. And yet, without that interruption, we don't have the story of Christmas. We don't have the gift of your son, Jesus. We don't have the hope of life eternal with you through faith in him. So God, for some of us, we've been coasting through life on our own, with our own plans, kind of living life our own way, and yet you're trying to interrupt and to show us our need for Jesus. And so, Father, for some that are tuned in online or maybe sitting here in this room, the interruption you have for them is an invitation to come home into relationship with you, to say yes to you, Jesus. 
God, for the rest of us, those interruptions that you bring across our path week in and week out, may we see them as opportunities to join you in what you're doing, to choose to be faithful in that moment. May we be a people who can be interrupted and see it as opportunity, not an irritation. God, as we sing about Emmanuel, the God who is with us, who interrupted all of history, to not call us to a posture of, hey, look, look for God and work your way to him, but Emmanuel who came with us, came to us, came for us, interrupting our lives, that we would be known as ones who are highly favored, not because we're good, but because you're great. Would you stir our hearts afresh and anew in this song and in the week ahead. May we be a people who can be interrupted and enjoy the moment it brings for us to grow in faith, we pray. Thyself, our King of Peace. 
Christmas is really about a divine interruption. And we are the benefactors of that. So as God interrupts your life from time to time, see it as an opportunity to be the benefactor again of how he would grow you and stretch you, move among you and with you. Don't shy away from it, but lean into it and be faithful. That's the opportunity. So tonight, into this week and into the rest of this Christmas season, may that just linger with you. And may it be an opportunity to see God's interruptions as divine opportunities to grow in your faith. And I want to thank all of you online or here in the house for being a part of Element City Church and kind of helping us do everything. Thanks for those of you who are financial partners with us. We don't pass a plate if you're new, uh, but we have boxes in the back. A lot of folks give online, uh, and that allows us to do the kingdom good, like food distributions that we did yesterday, and kind of turn the lights on and, and have everything rolling for service and online, uh, everything with that. So again, Christmas Eve, invite you back to consider that. We'll have a candlelight service with that. Uh, we'll continue to practice physical distancing and encouraging you to 
to wear masks. And, and um, with that, December 27th, want to let you know, um, because that's a couple days after Christmas. You see how that works, 25, 27, 2. Okay, so like it's a couple days after. We're going to actually record that service. It's going to be online only. So if you come here, uh, you'll be lonely in the parking lot. So don't because uh, I don't want you to be lonely two days after Christmas. So, uh, December 27th, join us online only for that. And then a couple things for January uh, is Financial Peace University is starting up. Uh, again, we'll have a class going through that mid-January or so. Information for that is in the app. If you're looking to kind of make a different financial plan, have some more s- solid foundation to that for you, that's a great opportunity for a group of folks to come through. And then Elements Refresh is the series we're going to be doing in January, kind of the refresh of the vision mission for where God has us moving forward. Uh, I want to encourage you for that and our 21 days of prayer, uh, which is going to start January 11th through the end of the month. We'll end with a worship night the last Sunday of January. Uh, Join us in that. It'll be a downloadable prayer guide every day. We're all focused on the same thing, praying through that. We're going to see what God's going to do in the life of our community. So if you are new here in the house, I'm going to be at the 10-minute party. I'd love to meet you and greet you. And if not, may the God who interrupts us all, may he be peaceful with that for you, but may he stretch you in the process of that. So thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for being with us online, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. Bless you.